This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Well, it's Resurrection Day, 2021. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the foundation of Christianity. All of Christianity is rooted and based on this truth. The foundation, and foundations are important. They're important for buildings. They're important for movements. You need a great foundation. But Christianity has one. Christ is risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. More than 500 witnesses saw the living Christ. And a movement began, and it's ongoing today, to witness the transforming work in the lives of people who became followers of Christ. And once Jesus was raised from the dead, the followers of Christ immediately took up the chant, Christ is alive, risen from the dead. Many of them gave their own lives. Their throats were slit. They were sawn in two. They were burned at the stake because they knew it was true. And look at us, we're gathered together today because the movement of the resurrected Christ goes on. We're gathered to meet him. We're Easter people, that's who we are. Tim Keller's an author and a pastor. And sometimes over the course of his pastoral ministry, he said it happened a number of times that people would come to him and they would say something like this. I really struggle with this aspect of Christianity. I like this part of Christian teaching, but not that part of Christian belief. And he said he would always respond, if Jesus rose from the dead, that he said, then why do you worry about what he said? You see, The issue on which everything hangs is not which teaching of Jesus you like or don't like, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That's the foundation of Christianity. Now, over the last year, um, a lot has happened to shake the foundation of the world. Millions of people in our own communities, but the whole nation and around the world. And if that happened globally because of the pandemic, it certainly has happened acutely in our communities in the last week. Last week's tragic shooting and the taking of 10 people's lives in our community is just a devastating loss that shakes the foundation of the lives of so many people. And we get that. We might even say, uh, as the Bible says, that when the world is shaken, sometimes God is up to doing something, to shaking the foundations so that that which can be shaken is shaken and then removed so that what can't be shaken is all that remains. The resurrection of Christ is such a foundation. Over the last year and all the recent history, we might be tempted to contemplate whether or not God is really working in our world. Is he really active in his sovereignty working around us? But such wondering would be a big mistake. 
because God is sovereign and God does rule in heaven and he always does whatever he pleases. There is no limit to his rule in all the world. And there's never a circumstance, there's never a dilemma, there's never any situation in all of the earth that put God, puts God in a box or constrains him from doing whatever he wants, whatever pleases him, whatever is according to his will. This is what it means when we say God is sovereign. He rules over all. It's what it means to be sovereign. It's what it means to be God. And that's who he is. He alone is God, right? Now, because it's Easter, I want to say to you that it is absolutely clear through the entire flow of the Bible that the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ from the dead is all God's doing. His hand is in it. And in fact, it's something that only God could do. It's nothing that we would ever think about doing. We would never conceive of a plan that would have the Son of God crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb, and raised the third day. We would never think of that. But God thought about it before the foundation of the world, and it is all of his doing. Only God would make a plan that his own son would go to the cross and then in love would allow him to experience the suffering that he did and then raise him from the grave on the third day. That's why we celebrate Easter. Now, let me just show you the work of Jesus Christ, the work of God the Father in both the death and the resurrection of Christ. If you have your Bible, I want you to open with me to Matthew chapter 27. Because there are evidences that God was doing something when behind the scenes, what we really thought was happening was that the world was rising up against Christ and putting him to death. But it's more than what the soldiers were doing. It's more than what the Jewish leaders were doing. It's more than what the mob was crying, crucify him. It was God at work in the crucifixion of Christ. And there are signals of this in Matthew chapter 27. This is the narrative account of the death of Jesus. And if you remember, Christ was tried on Thursday night and early Friday morning at 9 a.m., he was taken out and put on a cross. And on the cross for three hours, we pick up in verse 45. And in verse 45, we see the first evidence that God was doing something that only God could do. Verse 45 says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. We don't count time the same way, but the sixth hour was noon. So from noon to 3 p.m., there was darkness over all the land. And when is the sun the brightest? Noon to three. The, The greatest brilliance of the day is in this window, and there is our Savior on the cross. And what happens in the sky? God turns out the lights. Who can do that? Who's turning the bright brilliance of a bluebird day in Jerusalem when there's three people on the cross outside the city into complete darkness? God did that. Go to verse 51, and you see the second mark 
he tore the veil in the temple from top to bottom. Verse 51 says, and behold, the curtain in the temple, following the words of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The temple veil was torn in two from top to bottom. From top to bottom. You got to think about the temple veil that separated the holy of holies, the holiest place where only the high priest would go once a year. It was sectioned off by this veil that was 60 feet high. Some have estimated four inches thick of woven material without a seam. And suddenly, without a human hand on it, it tears apart, not from the bottom, Somebody trying to open up, get me into the presence of God. No way. It's torn from the top all the way to the bottom as if God's two hands are on this veil that opens up into the presence of God. Who can do that? What's the answer? God did that. And after God did that, verse 51 goes on to say, the earth shook and the rocks were split. Imagine just in Jerusalem that the earth is quaking who does that? God does that. And there are rocks there and they're just breaking apart in two. What's happening? Some divine phenomenon where God is watching the death of his son and he is darkening the sky, tearing the veil, breaking open big rocks in Jerusalem. The fourth mark, verse 52. And the tombs were open. What? Tombs opened up. If it was a tomb like the one Jesus is eventually laid in, then rocks were moved away so that you could see where the body was laid. Or perhaps it was the ground actually erupting and opening up. Who does that? It's God at work. And the last one, verse 51 at the end, and then verse uh, 52 and 53. And many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Okay, if he needed more proof that something incredible is happening, people are raised up from the ground. Formerly dead people are walking about Jerusalem. Who does that? Okay, so what I just want you to see is that there is overwhelming evidence in the narrative story that God was doing something that only he could do in the death of Jesus Christ. And then the culminating eyewitness summary in verse 54 of Matthew 27 is this, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the son of God. I mean, God had given incontrovertible evidence that what was happening on the cross was something that only God could do by all of these evidences around so that those who saw it said, that definitely is a work of God. That is the son of God. God is doing this. Wow. And we know that from other places in the Bible. It is the story of the Bible that what happened to Jesus was God's doing. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It was all God. The death of Jesus was God's doing. Wow. What kind of God is this? But not only the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus was God's doing. What happened in the resurrection was God at work. Now, let's be fair for a second. We think about the resurrection The disciples of Jesus, none of them thought that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. It wasn't even in their mind. It wasn't a part of their theology. It wasn't a part of their life experience, although they had seen their friend Lazarus raised. But none of them were expecting this to occur. If they had been, they would have probably camped out at the tomb from Friday night until Sunday morning waiting for the resurrection. But were they waiting? No, they weren't waiting. They were huddled up in secret, afraid, because suffering and disaster and death leads to fear. But on Sunday morning, the women were there. The women showed up at the tomb, and they were the first to see the empty tomb, and Jesus appeared to them. But when they returned to the room where the disciples, the apostles were, and they said, we have seen the empty tomb. He's not there. We saw him. He's risen. What did they say? This is nonsense. Nonsense. But then two of them ran to the tomb. And they ran to the tomb, and there they saw the empty tomb. And they saw Jesus, and he appeared to them, and then all of them, and more of them. And he gathered together, and he gave them his final instructions. And then he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, wait until the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And they did. He appeared to them. And then what did they do? Those apostles who were hiding out in the upper room, what did they do for the rest of their life? They went and told the story. He's alive. They never stopped telling the story. Nearly all of them gave their own lives. Being forced to recant that Christ is alive, they said, no, he is alive. And I will die proclaiming his death and his resurrection so that the very first recorded sermon is grounded in this foundational truth, Jesus Christ is alive. So let's turn further ahead from Matthew 27 to Acts chapter 2. And let's just look for a moment at the very first sermon preached. It's preached by Peter. Peter announces this sermon in order to say, I want you to get this, that not only was the death of Jesus God's doing, but the resurrection was his doing too. The resurrection was his doing. So in verse 22, we read this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Twice in this verse, in the middle of the sermon, Peter says, you know without a doubt that God verified that Jesus did things that no human being could do. 
God was working in Christ in his life, doing works and miracles and wonders and signs. God did these in your midst as you absolutely know. It just can't be argued. God was in Christ doing these miracles. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Whoa. You let that phrase sink in for a second? This Jesus delivered up by the predetermined plan of God and the foreknowledge of God, you killed and crucified. Okay, we have a picture here of the culpability of humans in the sovereign plan of God that existed well before it ever took place. What you see here is a picture of God working from all of eternity, an unfathomable thought that before the world was ever created, before there ever were flat irons, before there ever was an ocean, before there ever was a human being created, it was in the mind of God that he would send his son into the world to die for sinners. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God who is crucified before the foundation of the world is the way Revelation puts it. It's like it was God's plan. God's plan to allow his son to be crucified and killed and then to be raised to new life. But you will notice that Peter makes the poignant, powerful point that the culpability for the death of Jesus is with mankind, not with God. God was doing it for another reason in his grace. In fact, verse 24 says, God raised him up. God raised up Christ. If you needed another proof, here's just a simple phrase. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by it. You hear what Peter's saying? It was impossible for death to keep Jesus down. So God raised him up. I just want you to see again and again in the very first and all the subsequent preaching of the apostles, it was this is God's work. In fact, then Peter goes on to describe in the texts quoted, which we won't look at completely, but he begins to quote Psalm 16, where David speaks a prophetic word, particularly, um, he says, you will not abandon my soul to Hades, verse 27, quoted here by Peter, and you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. You won't allow your Holy One to see corruption. And then he goes on to explain, when David said that in the Old Testament, he couldn't possibly have been speaking of himself because his tomb is here and that tomb's still closed up. He's, he's not alive here. David was looking forward prophetically and speaking of Christ who would be resurrected. He would not be abandoned to Hades and his soul would not see corruption. Peter explains that and then culminates in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of that were all eyewitnesses. He just again reminds him, this is the one God raised. We've seen that, we saw him alive. And then finally, in verse 36, Peter says, let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain 
that God has made Christ both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Listen, do you see that the opening sermon after the resurrection of Jesus points to the foundational truth that God was working in both the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Absolutely, God was doing it. Now, if you say, so what? Hold on a second. To ignore that God was doing this in Christ, to neglect that this was God's work, allowing his son to suffer death and then raising him up from the dead. If you reject this, it is idolatry in the most offensive level. To reject what God did is to reject God. And that's why this early preaching always called for a response. While the world goes on, not even thinking about what God did in his son. A number of years ago, I read a quote uh, from one of the most notorious mayors of New York City. He displays some of the most um, extensive hubris the world has ever seen in accounting for all of his accomplishments in the Big Apple. This is a number of years ago. This mayor said, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping for an interview. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Ooh. Listen, if we could earn our way to heaven, this weekend we're celebrating our commemoration of the death and burial of Jesus would not be necessary. It wouldn't be necessary for Christ to go to the cross if we could simply earn our way into the kingdom of God. But the overwhelming testimony of the Bible is that God was working in Christ in his death and resurrection because God knew that that was the only way to accomplish redemption and salvation for his people. So he was working in the death of Jesus, in the incarnation to bring him into the world, to let him experience death all the way to the cross, and then to allow him to be buried, and then to be raised on the third day, to be ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God so that for all of eternity, it will be right for every created being to say of Jesus Christ, he is Lord to the glory of God who established this plan that his own son would come into the world. What can we say to this? What God was doing in the work that he did to bring Christ into the world. Listen, that's actually how the sermon then goes. When Christ, uh, when Peter summarizes the end of the sermon, you, you look at, um, let's see, verse 37, and you can see the response of those who were listening to the sermon. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And listen, this is the only question that we should all be asking today. If Christ is raised from the dead by God's grace, what should we do? 
That's the question we all have to ask. What should I do in response to God's work in his son who died and rose again? The answer comes in verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The answer is simply this. You need to repent and believe and be baptized and turn. Repentance means to turn back to God. Repentance is simply acknowledging I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm moving in a direction away from God. And now I realize what God has done through his son who died in my place. And I repent by turning my life back to God. What should we do to this? Repent. Be baptized. Baptism was the, the display of a heart that said, I believe in Jesus and I want to be immersed in the water. I want, to, I want my whole life to be immersed in Jesus. So baptism is the outward manifestation of the inward reality that I have said to God, I want to be absolutely immersed in your death and raised in newness of life. Believe, be baptized, repent. Every one of you, see that phrase? Every one of you means that none of us can make this decision for anybody else. Every one of us must make this decision. Who is Christ? And if God was in Christ, working through his death and his resurrection, I must respond to that. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will have a rebirth on the inside. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives when we turn to Christ and believe in him and are obedient to him and receive the forgiveness of sins and we are born again, born from above, born from the Holy Spirit. And then finally, in verse 39, Peter concludes, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who were far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. I want you to look at that verse. Every one of us, it's for all of us, for you, your children, for everyone who's far off. I wonder, do you feel far away from God? Has the difficulty and suffering of the last year just led you to a place to ask, where are you, God? Hey, Easter is the reminder that God is here, that he sent his son, that his son went all the way to the cross for us and God raised him up. This is the promise that God made for you, even if you feel far off. The verse concludes, everyone whom the Lord our God is calling to himself. I wonder if you can hear God calling to you. Remember, it would be the absolute expression of idolatry to know what God did in Christ and to ignore it, but to acknowledge it and turn to him in repentance is the total expression of worship and receiving. And I wonder if he's calling to you today. Hey, listen, this message that was first preached is on the very foundation of the resurrection. 
God was working in Christ's death. He's working in his resurrection. And I wonder, I want you to know that he's, he's working in your life right now because you're listening to this foundational truth that Christ died for you. Now, what will he do for you? What God promises to do for you is found in Ephesians chapter two, where there Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. If you look at that on the screen, we could just reduce it down to these words. But God made us alive. How did he do it? Because he's rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, by grace we have been saved. God was working in Christ's death. He's working in his resurrection. And he works in our life to give us that resurrection life. Paul goes on in Ephesians 2 to say this. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. And he did it so that in the coming ages, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness in Christ. Hey, listen, on this resurrection weekend, do you know all that God did for you? And how are you responding to it? Have you turned your life to him? Have you surrendered your heart to him? God loves you and sent his son to die that death would die to take on sin that you could be forgiven of your sins, to take us who were far away to bring us to God. He's risen. Oh man, he is so risen. And this is what God did. And I wonder if you know him. I wonder how you've responded to him. I want you to bow your heads with me. This would be a great moment for just quietly thinking about all that God did for us through the death and the resurrection of Christ. Do you know he did this for us by taking on the punishment that we deserved? He became a curse for us. You know, when he died, he defeated death. We say, thanks be to God who leads us in victory through Jesus Christ. There's not a sting to death in the same way that because he lives, we too can live. Christ suffered for us to bring us to God. I don't know if you're far from God, but I urge you, Turn to him, believe in him. And now I pray, our Father, that you will open our hearts to believe that Christ is alive, calling to us. Let the response of our hearts today be that we turn to you. We give you the glory for what you have done to save us, to kill death and to give us life eternal. This is what we pray for in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.